Juan, you ready to get into it today? Jimmy, I am, man. Let's do it. A couple of people have uh, sort of hyped me up, hyped you up and pushed me in your direction. So I, you must have some story to tell. I'm, I'm excited. Well, I do definitely have a story and hopefully uh, somebody can find value in it today. That's my hope. Okay, great. Let's jump right in. Like, take me back. Take me back to before your MSP, four MSP days, or what were you doing at the time? Like, were you working in IT? Were you working another MSP? Like, what was life like? A lot of people know don't know where I came from, right? It's just like, you know, I just popped up one day and just appeared on the scene and they were like, who's this guy? Why is he doing all these things? Why is he sharing so much? Like, I think that's probably what throws most people off when they meet me. But, you know, it's because of where I came from. And I think that the starting journey of where I started at wasn't anywhere that was really successful, right? I say that my whole empire is built on a, a pile of ashes. Is you know, back in the early days, I was like everyone else where I started up a computer company. Uh, I had left the federal government uh, with a very great, well-paying job that I could have been well-retired for in my mid-40s. <laughs> but I wanted to come out and I wanted to uh, help people. You know, I got a start at a place called AOL. And during that journey, uh, when I was very young, back when I was like 18, 19, you know, I found that I really enjoyed helping people find their way on the internet. And so that kind of proliferated throughout my career as I became really successful and all the things that I had done and all got really great jobs. And But I just felt like, you know, I wanted to do this on my own. And so I started a little computer company called Integrated Technology Solutions in the uh, early 2000s. And I took that to about 3 million. It was really interesting because it was a break fix. I had a web company. I had a structured cabling company. We were doing voice and data cabling for a lot of organizations. And we wasn't it wasn't managed services back then. This was, you know, project services in the early years. You know, we had a little retail thing where we were building computers and man, we had just contracts with all kinds of companies. And I started a leg of my business called Integrated Government Solutions because I had worked in the government. And I liked the fact that whenever POs were cut by the government, they just paid their bills on time. And I was like, oh, I like this money thing. So, and it was big money. So I was like, let's keep doing some of this. And uh, I really got into that. And that springboarded us to a point where we were able to potentially look at exiting our business. And I was in my 20s, right? And I was about to be a wealthy person, you know, and I was in order for me to take my government set aside and roll it into this bigger company, which is about $40 million that wanted to continue to do what they call 8A business. I uh, was going to sell my business to them and they were going to use my business to uh, continue doing 8A business for another eight years. So I had so much great success with, you know, going to the bank and they said, hey, Juan, you got to do one more thing. So they named me the CEO of this company coming into December. They said, you got one more thing to do. You have to self-fund $1.2 million to the federal government. And I said, oh, okay, cool, whatever. So I broke the cardinal rule of taking all of my assets and putting them into my S corporation. And I leveraged all my assets to do this deal with the federal government. And it was interesting because I was like, I just got named the CEO of a major corporation at a Christmas party where there's like a couple hundred employees. They're like super pumped. I'm a super young CEO. And here I am taking my company and my employees and going to roll them into this other organization. And all I got to do is this one deal. They gave me a piece of paper. The SBA patted me on the back and said, you got this. So I took that to the bank and said, here's all my assets, pushed all my chips into black. And then a new president came in and I had just done $1.2 million with NASA funded it, shipped it. Then they came back and said space vehicles didn't get funding. 
and they killed the program and they said, oh, sorry, Juan, you're not going to get paid. Well, I learned a couple of new words there. One of them was bankruptcy. The other one was losing everything. I learned how to go from the highest point in my life to the lowest point in my life, like overnight. And it was really trying, man. Like that destroyed me a little bit, right? I was like, how do you screw that up? Like, I don't quite understand. Like it was a lot of explaining to do. I was like, I don't have any answers. We spent a lot of money trying to fight to get our money back and there just was no answers. So it all burned to the ground, right? We lost everything. And that took me a, a long time to swallow that pill. It took me about seven years, as a matter of fact. So I went back in, I went to go build all the other industry types that I had, and I'd already built healthcare and scaled it. I went back and built uh, finance and banking and scaled that. Went and did some work with the NCUA for a while, went to go work for the private sector. And uh, I thought to myself, I'm gonna go do one last thing. I haven't built education, so let's go do that. My kids wanted to go to school. And during this time, like this whole time, I was trying to perfect what I had done wrong. Like there was a lot of moments in my life where I was like, man, I just screwed up. Like explaining to my kids why they didn't have a house anymore was like really difficult and they were really young. So having to uproot them and move them away from their school and, and all the other things that went along with it, it took many years to like climb out of that. Like me and my wife, our relationship was pretty rocked by that. Like if you've ever moved, it's one thing, but like when you're moved by force and somebody actually like comes and tells you you have to move, that's a different thing. So luckily it forged us in fire, but we were able to, to emerge from that. And so I spent many years trying to figure out what I did wrong and uh, kind of held on to this and harbored this uh, this thing inside of me that said, man, like what, I could have done something different. Like, what did I do? And I was a young entrepreneur. I started off like many MSPs that are on this call today or business owners or entrepreneurs. I didn't even know how to start a business plan when I first started. And I was like, well, that's my biggest detriment, right? I held that against myself. It's like, I just didn't know how to run a business. I knew how to do the tech. I just didn't know how to run a business. And so I said, all right, through this journey, I went into finance to understand how to do finance. I built credit unions for a period of years. Then I went into big business at Honeywell International and built Honeywell International to understand how to manage big business and supply chain and why people buy the way they do and all those motions. And then I went to the college to help there too, to understand the education piece, because that's a big part of what I am. So all of those put together during that time, I, I kind of started to figure out, all right, here's what I did wrong. All right, I, I see it now. Here's where I screwed up. I should never push those chips in on black. And during that, I was like, well, what's next? What, how do people buy? And during that time, I, I decided to, um, you know, start coming up with a formulation for what I thought the next generation of IT would be. And what I had started to build out was back in 2012 was like this, removing the friction from everything, every no I'd ever heard and started to understand like, how do I make it super easy for me to hear yes every single time? And in my back of my head, it's just like this ongoing playbook just running, man. And I remember I launched a, a thing at Samon College when I was a CIO over there that was called the Four Corners Technology Conference. And during that, I brought in all these innovative vendors to help educate the masses, right? The, the school couldn't really have, didn't have a big technology budget. And so I was generating revenue by throwing this huge technology conference and vendors were sponsoring it and people were paying and we were able to generate, you know, scholarships and all kinds of great things and supply technology for the college, which they never had the opportunity to have before. During that time, I was just looking at all this innovation and all this tech. And as I was interviewing, doing due diligence on vendors for tech, I was like, man, this would be really great if businesses could have access to this. But it's super expensive. Like, how do you make it really low cost? And that's when I started thinking about this as a service thing. And uh, I actually 
did that for the print industry back in 2013. I basically took their product and broke it down by their total cost per page and the toner and service and maintenance. And I built this whole flat rate print model thing. And I present, I actually issued an RFP to the world over Thanksgiving in, in 2013. And they came back and they're like, this doesn't make sense. What the hell is this? Like, we don't do things this way. And I'm like, but you will do things this way if you want to do business with the college. And so then they came back and they, this one company out, out of nowhere popped up and was like, hey, how did you figure this out? Like, how'd you come up with this $25 a printer thing? And I was like, well, here's the equation. This is how I did it. And they're like, dude, this freaking makes a lot of sense. And so anyway, long story short, we did this deal and it saved the college a ton of money and it helped them build like this fixed scale where we, they couldn't budget to technology in the print world very often because of the fluctuations. And I put controls around it by a flat rate number, which made it really easy to budget to because I needed that number because I needed to know what I was going to do into the future. And I won a bunch of awards at New Mexico Technology and Education. And I remember at the conference, I was talking to a bunch of people and I said, you know, this flat rate thing, man, I, there's something to it. And I really feel like, like technology is at a precipice where that people want to buy a different way and they're ready to consume technology in a different way. And I think that if I could package technology in a way like it was like Walmart, where you could just pick stuff up off the shelf and like go and sell it like ad hoc and like everyone, you know, you could have the technology. My original moniker for ITS was providing tomorrow's technologies today. And I was like, what if I could give them their technology today, but split their price over time? Like, and they were like, Juan, if you can figure that out, dude, I'll come work for you. So ironically, I uh, held them to it, right? And I, I put together a four-year business model and I put together what it would take to build an IT company off of a bar table napkin. And I was just kind of shooting the stuff with uh, one of my partners, Carlos Martinez. And I was like, do you think we can make this happen? And he goes, dude, I think this would be like the next best thing. And so ironically, a company wanted me, had hit me up and they were like, hey, we're trying to start this IT thing. What do you think about this? And I said, well, I got an answer for you. Here you go and you can have it. And I gave it to them just like I had done with the flat rate thing. And they were like, dude, that flat rate thing worked out great. Like, can we, uh, like, tell us how you built this. And so I was, I walked them through it and I showed them, here's a four-year budget. Here's the people you would need. Here's the scale. This is how much you need to sell every month to outperform so that you could afford it. And here's how many how much reoccurring revenue and how much project services and everything. Here's all the things you need. And here's how it scales. Here's the commission plan. Here's the whole package. I gave it to him. I said, go do it. Have fun. See you later. And I remember thinking to myself, I do not want to get back in that game. And so I remember I was sitting at the table one night and I told my wife, I was like, you know, like something burning inside of me. I, I think I'm going to do this IT thing again. And she looked at me and she's like, you said you'd never effing do that again. And I said, I know. And it gave her some PTSD. I mean, there was so much fear there from so much loss that, I mean, even my kids looked at me with big eyes like, dad, that wasn't fun. And I was like, I know, but I think I have to do this. And I don't know why, but I think I figured out how to, how to do this. No, this has been amazing. That like betting on black, like chips all in attitude. Did you have that sort of propelling you in the first 10 years or so of your career? I've always had to bet on black, right? Because I was, I started off really young. And so I didn't have like this failure mechanism. I didn't have a safety, a plan B, if you will. Like there was no, like I only had plan A. And if it didn't work out, like I wasn't, I didn't make like a bailout plan. Like I didn't have a bug bag. You know what I mean? Like it was, 
like it was all in every like even when i married my wife i remember they're like hey you know you can't return her and i said i never planned on it right so it's like i've always just planned for one thing and like being willing to see it through so it seems like it shifted sort of from like uh all in all in all in we're gonna go bigger 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 to more of like a counting cards like uh calculated thing later yeah i had to figure it out so the first one all in i went into that so blind it was like I remember calling my wife one morning. I was like, well, I'm quitting my job today and we're starting a business. And she's like, hold on a second. What? Like, why would you do that? Like, you have a really great job. Like, I was like, no, that's what we're doing. And uh, so the second one, I spent years building that design. Like I, I was playing that in my head. How do I never lose? How do I not figure out like, what are all the things that I need to do? And it's funny because when I, we finally did it on, I pitched this whole concept to a company and I said, you know, here's the one thing that I wasn't able to do was I didn't feel like I could, I didn't want to like go out and self-fund it again. That was one of the safety mechanisms that I just felt like I couldn't do. There was just a part of me that I could not get over that hump. So what I said was I would partner with somebody to do it. And I did, I partnered with a, with a company. They wanted to start it. And I said, look, just don't get in my way. I'll do it all. I'll take care of everything and we'll make it happen. And so there was that piece of me that there was still a calculation, but I had the equation for success. I literally knew how to scale from zero to 4 million in four years. Like I had it planned out, like you could see it as clear as day. And so they were like, can you really do that? And I'm like, yeah, it looks like it's hard, but it's not, it's actually really easy. And so, yeah, to answer your question, I did. And I came up with, it, and I talk about it now as a, a profit protection program. Like I built for profit from day one. I planned on, I knew in my business the last time that I was always getting walked down based on cost. So my competitive advantage was a race to the bottom. And I said, I'm never going to do that again. Step one. So I created a profit protection program. And inside of that, I built for 50% margins on everything that I did. And then I drove for growth on everything, the way I compensated people. I made it to where the business wanted that it was actually designed to grow instead of it being what it was the last time, which was designed to fail. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time playing that chess game and I, I even talk about it like that. It's like, I had to make sure that every time I made a move that I understood exactly how I was going to win. I wanted to know what moves were going to be made so that I knew exactly how to win and make the move or at least come up with a stalemate so that I wasn't always losing every time. So. And to be honest, uh, we did exactly what we said we we're going to do, right? We started off at zero, January 1st, 2015, and we, in, we outperformed our four-year budget in year three. We did what we said in, in year four. In year three, we paid off pretty much every dollar that uh, we had invested in it by year three and a half, and by year four, it was profitable. And then from there, it was just a hockey stick, right? It went super aggressive, and we landed up taking that thing to almost $20 million when I exited in September of this last year. So it was a good six year run. It stayed probably a little bit longer than I said I was going to, but I, I had to do it, right? I had built so many wonderful BCIOs and we had so many great cities under us at that time. And we had 16 locations. So there was an amazing amount of people there and we trained sales teams. It was just fantastic to make the process, the product, right? And so I tell MSPs that all the time now, it's like, if you don't have a process for success, people want to see success. It's kind of like a diet plan. Like I buy diet plans. I subscribe to diet plans because I want what? Something. I want to lose weight. And if I subscribe to your technology plan, 
then I want what? I want business success with technology or some competitive advantage. The problem is, is that if you don't have a plan, I have not really much to buy from you, right? It's like, if somebody told me something the other day, I said on stage, it struck me because when he said it, I'll never forget it. He said, Juan, you have to make it easy for people to give you what you want. And because he was asking me, you know, how can I help you? And I'm like, I don't need any help. <laughs> I don't think I do. But he's like, well, you have to make it easy for me to help you. And I'm like, give you what you want. And I was like, but I don't want anything right now. So, but I, I, I took that. I said, I'm going to take that from you. And I'm going to share that with the world because so many of us make it so hard to give us what I want, to give us what we want. And that's the deal, right? And because we don't have a plan. You know, from your CIO role, you learned, you know, what it's like being on the other side, right? Filling out the budget, CapEx versus OpEx, and you sort of discovered this new consumption model. Do you think that was like the key ingredient to sort of founding your next business? I think it was a piece of it, right? So I've always looked for the front end of the wave, right? With technology and like, what's the next evolution of technology? Like, you know, I was there when the internet kind of started, right? Which is scary to say that we can even remember a time when the internet fired up, but I was there when it popped. I wasn't there when it, you know, the first conversation was had. I'm not, I'm not trying to say I'm that guy. I'm just saying I was there. I was on, like, it was starting to make sense. And I've always wanted to be on the front end of technology. And so whenever you're on the front end, that's where the puck's going, right? We talk about skate to where the puck's going. Customers want new innovative opportunities. They don't want what's already here, right? Because if you're already doing something here, the only thing you can do is talk about how you're cheaper, right? It's hard to build value when you're, you're competing against saturation. But when you're competing against innovation, now there's not a lot of people out in that foray, right? So it's like, when we were creating all these new models, like when we won Shark Tank in 18, I mean, we talked about welcome to the future. Like I dropped that bomb. Like I was like, here it is, guys. Here's how you do it. And here's the way we're doing it. We're having great success with it. Like, come on, as a service thing is like what the way people want to consume. And so I think that was a piece of it. I think the what customers really wanted was a deep level of engagement. That was their real big success. Like our plan to walk them through success and get over some of the, the jaded relationships they've had in the past with, you know, other that just serviced their technology and hope that it worked and said they were making it work. We legitimately could show all that happening. Like we could illustrate it with all the reports and everything that we were doing. We could clearly get away from the conversation that I had in the past with, I really don't know what you do for me. Right. I didn't want to hear that anymore. I hated that. No, I was like, God, I hate that. Like, how do I make technology tangible? And so that's what we really focused on doing was making the process so inclusive that they always felt like they knew exactly what we were doing for them. And that was really, I think, the biggest thing. And of course, making it easy to buy was even easier. Right. It's like, oh, OK, well, I'm taking the no out of the I talk about this all the time called knowing the no. I'm taking the no out of the conversation because I'm removing the, I can't afford this barrier by giving you this, it's only 25 bucks a month. Yes, you can. Like, don't give me that. You know what I mean? So, and I think it was really interesting to watch. And I think the world shifted to it as quickly as we thought it would too. So I think it's being at the right, right place at the right time. And then, um, you know, really empowering your customers to be successful with your program. That was probably the secret sauce, Jimmy, I'll be honest. I'm also hearing, you know, the difference between the first time and the second time is really, really, really understanding your customer. You know, you mentioned in the beginning, the federal government's great, right? They pay right away. 
And then that ended up being, you know, the downfall, right? Because the the contract, you know, the president changes all of a sudden the endless, uh, seemingly endless, you know, money factory gets cut off where the second time you're like, I'm going to, you know, it's all about the buyer. I'm going to take away all of the obstacles. I'm going to make it as easy as possible for them. Would you say that's true? Or like, I know you were in the buyer's shoes at, at one point too, but how did your, your look on it change? It changed quite a bit, right? It was like, okay, well, I, I didn't understand the way people bought. Like that was the biggest thing for me. You know, I, I go back to tell this story, which is really kind of funny because, you know, as a kid, I used to sell newspapers, right? And so I would sell newspapers, you riding around, throwing newspapers at doors. But my, my favorite one was sitting out in front of the grocery store. And I remember watching people get out of their car and making an assessment of whether or not they were going to come my way. And like, just based on their body movements and how they're walking and whether they're willing to make eye contact or, you know, just kind of like the kids flailing around and they're yelling at them to sit down in the car, you know, based on the temperature of the weather, like the day of the week. It's interesting to understand how people buy and why they buy, the psychology behind the buy. And so as I went through my career, looking at all those things, like, okay, people buy monetarily, but they also buy based on value. And if there's enough value in it, the money doesn't matter, right? And so I really started to unpack that. And how do you create so much value that they can't say no, right? How do you remove the cost equation from it? So understanding the way people buy was super important to me. And I took a lot of those lessons. And when I built mine, that was the one big thing. So to your point, yes, I didn't know that to begin with. I was just like, oh, okay, well, I'd always pander to the consumer, you know, and always hear this ringing in my head. The customer's always right in my first company. And it's like, I remember walking on stage at Shark Tank and saying, again, MSP Shark Tank, you asked a question that you didn't actually want the answer to. So I'm not giving you what you asked for. I'm giving you what you really asked for and what you really wanted. And that's what shifted everything. That's how I won because it was, it wasn't what they asked for that they wanted. What they wanted was the, the solution to the problem with their, which their business problem, not the best security solution. That's what they asked for. I was like, okay, who has the best security solution here? And it's like, that's, you don't care about that. What you care about is how does this empower my business to be successful? And I told them that on stage. And it was interesting because I remember I was doing that presentation in New York and I spent all day putting together a slide deck and I was stressed out trying to get that deck done. And I remember going downstairs and my wife looked at me and she goes, so you're done now? You've, you've got it. You figured it out. And I looked at her and I was like, she goes, and then she said one thing to me. She said, did you make it simple? And I looked at her and I said, shit. And she goes, what? And I felt so bad at that moment because I was looking at the girl that sat in the hotel room staring at the TV all day while we're supposed to be out at like Staten Island. And here I am working on a presentation and she's just sitting there waiting for me. And I looked at her and I said, it's all wrong. I wasted a whole day and I went upstairs and in 15 minutes, I retooled the whole thing and sent it out before midnight. <laughs> and then I said, you're right. I didn't make it simple. I made it hard and that's what we're not supposed to do. And, and so I went around and I retooled and it was funny because it was the right thing. It was what they asked. And that's where I recognized it. it was like, damn it, I got tricked again. And that's what happened in my first business. I would always do what people ask. It's like, oh, Juan, the price is really high, man. And it's like, and it wasn't that they were saying that they didn't need it or they didn't want it. They were saying, help me afford it, right? And I just didn't have the mentality at that time. And I thought that the thing that they wanted was me to just give it to them free. Sometimes I did. Bad business model. <laughs> so it's a... Uh, much different, 
I did take a lot of lessons and, and realize what we needed to be doing in that second one. It worked really well. So another thing you mentioned was uh, sort of learning the finance side of things along the way. I feel like there's a lot of MSPs who want that education or maybe experience something and realize that that was their weakness. How did you go about like learning those things and really understanding it in a holistic way? And how might somebody else do that if, you know, they were in a similar position? I'd hate to say, you know, I, I spent a lot of years building credit unions and financial institutions and looking at a lot of different P&Ls and budgets and all these other things, especially running the college or working at Honeywell, ma you know, managing massive budgets. I will say that all that's good and well, but I think at the end of the day, what made the biggest difference was the fact that I actually started off every single year creating a budget and a plan. And I broke down how much reoccurring revenue I needed to suffice. And I broke down how much project services I needed to deliver. I broke down how much hardware I needed to sell. And I looked at my customer penetration matrix and looked at and said, okay, well, how much are we selling to these customers now? How much are we not selling to them? Like, where can I grow existing in my internal customer base? What are the products and services that we're hearing in the QBRs that customers want? Again, back to really understanding the needs of your existing customers. I mean, most MSPs out there probably could double their revenue just by going into their existing customer base and asking them, what is it that you need? You know, it's like, we didn't often win. Like people think like you need to sell, 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 sell. We need all these customers, all this problem, all these opportunities. I'll be honest with you. When we were scaling our MSP, we'd get 12 customers a year, one a month. And that was because we wanted to make sure that the customers that we brought in were onboarded appropriately, that we could officially, you know, enact, you know, our program and like get projects delivered on time and within scope. And we took care of them the right way. And they felt like we cared about them and we were able to spend time on them. And I wasn't chasing another customer every single freaking five seconds. It was like, we need to make that customer very special to us because the value of that customer is far greater than if I keep chasing, you know, 500 customers. Because I know I hear that all the time. It's like, oh my God, I just need more sales. I need more customers. And it's like, you just need one a month. Like, that's really all you need. I mean, you couldn't handle five if you had them. Like, it would destroy your business. Like, you think you could, and you're like, oh, well, I'd hire more people. No, that more people aren't going to understand how to do your process as fast. You're going to get up. The worst thing that you could have is a bad first interaction right? And that's onboarding. And that's where we feel the most. It's like, oh, well, I can just onboard real quick. We just get to the project and services. That's where people want things. And it's like, we spend a lot of time iterating around that. And I could tell you our customer success journey was really, really high with those types of things because we wanted to focus on bringing them in at a click that we could consume them. And when we would get out of hand, we would slow down. Like during the pandemic, I said, we're stopping. All we're going to do is help. I don't want to sell anymore during the pandemic. And we didn't. And we actually grew during the pandemic because the one people we were helping, we had some fallout, but the ones that we were helping were also expanding their technology ecosystem. And had I gone and chased after and like gathered up all these people and we could have done that, it would have been to what? What for? Like we weren't taking care of our house, right? So we took care of our people and that built a really great company and built a great culture because now people knew that we actually cared. We weren't just saying it out of the side of our mouth. So a lot of people were like, hey, we are really a great company. And they really started to like gel and feel like this is a place I want to stay. A lot of people deal with that now where they're looking at, I can't keep anybody. 
And I say, well, what's your program to, to for your employee success? And they're like, we don't have one. And I'm like, people are going to go where they see themselves being successful. I'm just going to be honest with you. If your customers aren't successful and you have no program for success and no employee success, like, do I want to stay here? Or do I want to go where someone's painting a great picture around employee success? Like, so it all starts off with that process, Jimmy. And, and that, that's the biggest thing I can tell anybody. Like here we're in December. I know we're probably planning to close the year out, but the best thing we could be doing on this last week is planning out how we're going to be successful in January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. Like what's your growth plan look like? How, if I get one customer a month, is that enough? Is my pricing right? Are the products I'm offering right? Are, are the things that I'm delivering my customers the things that they want? How do I know that? Have I been asking them that? It's not too late to go and start a QBR process or a TBR, whatever you call it. You're asking a number of questions to figure out what you should be doing next. That's probably the smartest thing I ever did was listen. You had uh, you know, talked a little bit about the story of you know the Shark Tank presentation. Can we dig into that a little more? You know, Walk me through what that was your participation, your pitch, all of that. You know, that story is really near and dear to my heart. And I know that for those that competed against me, uh, they probably found me kind of obnoxious. So my sales team, we had a lot of salespeople. And, you know, one of the things that I've always done is I've always, I've been in the trenches. Like I'm like in there creating the sales process and the sales talk tracks and the program, similar to what I do now at Hackware where I'm teaching people how to sell and getting into the understanding of why people do what they do and trying to share everything that I've learned. And I remember we officially launched as a service. I waited years to kind of come out of the box on that because I needed to get all the vendors in. I needed to create the financial structures. It took me about four years to create it officially from the time that I actually officially had designed it. And so when we launched it in 17, we'd started doing our testing in 17 slash 18. It was really interesting because the sales team was like, one, people don't want to buy like this. They like transactional. They sold transactional. And I said, you know, here's the thing. I was working with a company, which you guys may know, called HP. And uh, one of the cool things was, is I had gone and I had taken all these products and I had bolted them together. And I said, I'm having a great success with doing this and delivering this as a service. And I'm tying in all these products and services together for a flat rate price. And I, I remember we went to a, a conference. And HP was there and we were having drinks one night and we were after hours. And I said, you know what? I said, I'm going to, and you know how it is when you have drinks, sometimes you get a little cocky. And I remember telling him, my business partner in tow, I said, Hey, I'm going to enter the shark tank thing because I need to help my salespeople see the light at the end of the tunnel, that this is the next wave of, of evolution. So I have to prove it to them. I'm the kind of person that will go out and show people versus tell people. And so I said, if I go and I get on that show, you have to promise to be there with me. And of course, they're looking at me like, sure, Juan, whatever you say. We've all had a bunch to drink at this point. And so they're like, <laughs> of course, they're not going to be like, oh, no, 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 no. We're not behind you. They were just like, sure. Yeah, go ahead and try it, pal. <laughs> so long story short. We submit for the thing. Uh, I'm on vacation in California and I'm not supposed to be checking my phone. And, you know, they were supposed to announce who got in and who didn't. And I didn't get the email. And so I was kind of bummed out. I was like, damn, I really wanted to make it to at least the final four. I thought that this would be something that they really wanted. And I thought that I had presented in a way that they would just, they'd want to hear more. 
and I didn't for a couple of days. So I was like, oh, I was kind of feeling it like maybe it wasn't really. Maybe I'm just telling myself that. Or maybe it's too advanced. I just don't know what it is. Because at the time, this didn't exist. It didn't exist, man. It wasn't there. Like it, no one knew what the hell I was talking about. And every time I told somebody that, they would just look at me and shake their head like, sure, buddy, I'm sure that this as a service thing is going to really take off. And so I ironically, my wife had gone to do something and I I, I managed to to wrestle my phone out. And before she left and I, I looked and I checked my phone and right as she was getting, she got, came back. I had just looked and saw that I got accepted to uh, MSP Shark Tank. And I was super pumped, man. I was like, oh my God, I made the final four. That's all I needed. I just needed to say that it was good enough. The program, the plan was good enough to make it to the show. Didn't care about winning at all. Could have cared less. All I cared about was going back and telling the sales team, we have something that they want. And I'm telling you, I'm going to go out on the stage and I'm going to go and pitch this thing to show you guys that I'm not lying, that this is the future. So long story short, again, I did that thing in in New York. And then, uh, you know, the presentation takes place and we get there. And I remember the competitors, man, they thought I was like the most, I don't know, I'd have to ask them what they thought, but I could see the look on their face where they were like, why is this guy so high energy? And like, why is he telling us everything? Because they're being super quiet. They're like, oh, hey, good to meet you. Like, how are you? And I'm like, hey, man, I'm just here to have a great time. Like, I'm going to be talking about this as a service thing. Like, it's all about flat rate bundling. And then they were just like, dude's weird. And I remember thinking, I remember, I was like, hey, I hope you guys win. Like, you're a husband and wife team. I'm super pumped for you guys. Like, I love husband and wife teams. And I'm telling them about me and my wife. And they're looking at me like, I don't know about this guy. So we go up and we get ready to practice, right? And we get mic'd up and there we go up on stage. And it's a good size stage. It's pretty nice. And they're like, hey, so we don't have enough time for you guys to, this is the day before the show, to practice separately. You have to practice in front of each other. And uh, they're like, oh, no, 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 no. We don't want each other to see what we're doing. We want to, you know, we want to do this on our own. We don't want anyone to know. It's super secret, top secret stuff. And I'm like, and I'm like, I'm just pumped to be here, right? I'm just like bouncing around like a Keebler elf. And I told him, I said, hey, what if I give up my time? Can If I give up my time, can they practice alone? Would that give them enough transition time to move sets around or do whatever they got to do? And they looked at me and they're like, why would you do that? And I was like, if I don't know what I'm talking about, then I shouldn't be here. And I said, you know, I'm just going to come up here and I'm just here to have fun anyway. So it's not like I'm looking to win. So I, uh, I bounced and went and watched Storage Wars with my wife. And legit, we're sitting there watching Storage Wars and I'm watching that guy. Yep. And I'm laughing and having a good time. And my wife's sitting here on the bed like, are you going to practice? And I was like, nope. <laughs> and she's like, are you serious? Like the show's tomorrow. And I'm like, yep. And so I didn't practice. And we just watched Star Wars and we went to dinner and had a great time. And then uh, the day the show shows up, right? And we get up there and everyone's like, I'm just ecstatic to be there, man. I'm so excited. I can't even tell you. Like, I get to pitch this whole thing. And it's, you know, it's a five-minute pitch. And to get your stuff down to five minutes, you better know how to get it down. Like, that's rapid fire. I know you've done it, Jimmy. You've seen five minutes, man, on stage. Like, it's it's quick, man. So you got to get your value quick. And I'm a storyteller. Like, that's what I do. And I know that. Like, I don't know what five minutes even means. <laughs> so, like, five minutes... I'm barely going to be able to say my name in five minutes. And how are you doing? Like, so I'm sitting there. HP shows up. They're in the front. My wife's sitting in the front. 
there's all these people in the audience and I think there's, I don't know, 1500 people in the audience, something like that. And, uh, the first group goes up there and they come out swinging for the fences, man. They got tchotchkes. They're handing the sharks, all this stuff. They got capes and a badass video. And I'm like, Whoa, dude. Like, I didn't know there was like a budget for production here. Shit. Like this is for real. Like I'm like, I'm losing to them. Actually, no, 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 no. The first guy, he actually, he came out and he, he, was, he ran too long and they cut him off. And he's like, well, I wasn't done. And they're like, yeah, you are. You're done. Like, no more. And uh, I was like, but he was still good. So he gets off. But before they go, the sharks start tearing into him a little bit. They're like, can I give you some advice? Like, you know, get to the point really quick. Not quite sure that we feel like your product's going to be successful. And da-da-da-da-da. The second group goes up and they have the video and they got capes. And they got, like, it's legit. They brought boxes of stuff and tchotchkes and, like, VR headsets. It's for real. And that's the one I thought I was going to lose to. But then the sharks get into them. And they're like, we thought you were boring. Uh, we don't really know what, you know, your product. Like, it seems like, and they, they just started getting into them, man. And I'm I'm sitting there in the front row like, oh, my God, I didn't think this was the kind of show I was on. I thought this was, like, like this was Kumbaya and, and chocolates, man, like, and marshmallows, like. I didn't know we were going to get like hardcore feedback and they start getting into it. So then the husband and wife team that I thought for sure is going to win, they go up and they got a volleyball and they're bouncing it back and forth and they're in sync. Like they're jamming like high energy, really great, great product, great talk. And the next thing, you know, she asked Barb Cochran asks uh, the husband, she goes, well, what is, what does she do for the company? He goes, Oh, she stands in the back. And then, oh man, that was it. She got into him and she's like, you need to get a divorce from him. And like, oh man, I'm sitting in the front row just getting blown off. I am for the first time in my life getting nervous. And I mean, really nervous. I didn't practice. I'm trying to look at my slides on my tiny phone. Like, oh my God, I have no idea what, and I'm going to get tore up. Who knows I'm here? Like how many people know I'm here? Okay. So HP knows I'm here. Not very many people else know I'm here. I'll still be okay if I get blown up. And I'm starting to do damage control in my head and getting into my head. And I'll tell you this. So for the first time in my life, Jimmy, and I've been on a number of stages all over the place at this point, not speaking on this particular subject, but on a lot of other things. I remember them coming down and they call my name and I walk up there. And when I hit that stage, they said, welcome to stage Juan Fernandez, right? And I get up there. And as soon as I grabbed that mic, I had it already in my head what I was going to do. And I stopped and I just paused and I forgot my name, Jimmy. I didn't even know who I was, bro. Like I was like, oh my oh, God. Oh no. It's like uh, showing up in your underwear, right? <laughs> like the worst. <laughs> Dude, you have no idea. Like this was a petrifying moment. I was so in my head that I literally forgot what my name was. All my neurons fired at one time and it just went blank. And, uh, so like when you watch the video, even my wife was sitting there and after she's like, what the hell happened to you? Like the first 10 seconds looked like you weren't going to make it. And I was like, oh, I don't know. So I somehow said, my name is Juan Fernandez, right? And the next thing you know, I just start kind of rolling and I start going and I was like, what if you could tell the future? And what if that future was today? And what if you didn't have to worry about it? And what if you didn't have to think about it? And what if everything that you were worried about never happened? And so I started talking about the solution of how we built this whole program to like, you know, be devices of service and deliver an autonomous service delivery. And 
pastorless systems and compliance and risk awareness all built into a one single simple solution with all our security and package pricing all together as an ecosystem to protect you and your business and empower you to embrace the in remote worker, which I didn't know was going to be the real true future within the next couple of years of the pandemic to empower businesses that wanted ROI and faster routes to market and use technology as an advantage. Like when I go back and watch that from when it was to what happened, let me be honest with you. I didn't think none of that was like a hundred percent going to happen that fast, Jimmy, but, and it was really interesting. So I start pitching and I'm up there and it's just dead silent, man. And at the end, I stop, I end right on time. And I'm standing there. And normally by now, the sharks have already gotten into the people. Like they're in there just ramming them with questions. And it's just dead silent. And I thought to myself, I blacked out, didn't I? I'm laying on the floor blacked out right now because it's dead silent. Like you can't hear anything in the auditorium. And they're not moving. And so the guy goes, sharks, do you have any questions for Juan? And Barb Cochran goes, not necessarily a question, but a comment, you know, you're very elegant in the way that you speak and it's very uh, interesting in what you've done. Like, But of all the great things that you said here today, I don't know if I trust you because you're wearing a shiny jacket. So this jacket that I had on, bro, was like super bright. It was like chrome, like it was shark skin and it was under the lights, so it was super bright. And she goes, you have to dress for the audience that you're speaking to. And I just suggest that in the future you dress appropriately. And I was like, oh, well this, I had, my daughters had bought it for me, right? And so I had told the group before we went up on stage, I was like, I'm really self-conscious about this jacket, dude. Like, it's super bright, bro. Like, this is going to be obnoxious on stage. And so they were laughing. They're like, yeah, it is. So I'm up there and I'm telling this story. And then she goes, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't know your daughters bought it for you. I said, but here's the funny part, Barb. What if they would have bought me the pants? I could have been up here like, and she goes, not the pants. And so... From that point, I had won her over, right? And I knew yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me more about you, Juan. Like, how did you get here? You seem so polished and refined. Like, I need to know more here. Like, how did you come up with this? Like, where did you get this? And so I start telling her. I felt like I was up there for a day and a half talking. But it was like 10-ish minutes that she kept me after. And I thought to myself, man, if that was the toughest part of it, I think I might have this in the bag. Hopefully. And so when we came back on stage, they ripped into him again and said, oh, I... ABC to this person and ABC to that person. And I was just like heartbroken because I'm like, these are real people, man. Like we all put ourselves out on a platter here. And like, that's a lot to absorb in front of this many people of your peers. And like, you know, it's a lot to take. I know what that feels like to get torn apart in person, you know? And so I was like, I felt for those people and I still do to this day. But yeah, I came out to meet in that husband and wife couple. And I was like patting them on back, wishing them well. I was like, you guys got this. I think it's you. And I, then they announced I was the winner, which shocked the hell out of me. But it was really because I gave them what they asked for that. And I told them that, like, I'm giving you something that you've never asked for before because you didn't know the right question to ask. And as educators, we allow customers to ask us questions that you don't really want the answer to. Like, how does it work? You don't really care about how it works. But then we start telling you how it works and then you get turned off because you're like, eh, I don't know. This guy seems too smart. I don't know if I want to work with this person. It's like, how does it work for my business is what you asked me. And that's really what I gave them was their business outcomes. So, and from that, and I started giving that away, right? I started talking about business outcomes, outcomes, the outcome and teaching MSPs and helping MSPs understand that. And again, just sharing, man, that's like been my biggest thing. So 
that's my Shark Tank story. It hasn't changed since the day it happened, but uh, still near and dear to my heart. <laughs> I love that. This is quite the story there. It's definitely a story that I admire. I think it taught me a lot. And I went back and taught my sales team exactly what they thought. They, HP took it and like cut it up and made it like a commercial. And like, it's great. Like they took all of the important pieces of what I said and made it like packaged together with our product services and bundles. And we did like a bunch of big deals together. Like our sales team would literally take iPads and go play that and be like, <laughs> be ready to buy. And they'd be like, we want to do business with you. And they're like, this works great. And I'm like, stop doing that. Stop doing that. There you go. You got what you what you went for. <laughs> Convince the sales team. That's all that I wanted to do, man. I wanted them to see that we could, right? That's the, the hardest part. And I think as business owners, sometimes we lose sight of showing our people that we can, right? And that's why I say I build process and procedure that empower people to be successful, that create great cultures. Because the one thing that I've learned in all this, Jimmy, is when I was able to help people become successful and take ownership over their own little operation and give them a process that they were part of and could manage and massage and be part of the equation to the customer success moniker or the, the KPI, it gave them self-worth. And so I wanted to give that. So as I created these processes, I'd be like, here you go, have it. Go be successful with that. And I was wonderful to watch. It was like a symphony because everybody's working together and they're like, yeah, like, here's what I did and here's how I've changed it. And it's, they would come and tell everybody and then we'd create this communication chain throughout the company. Like, that's what's important. That's where I think that if I've learned anything, it's been more about building people than it's been building companies. And that's where I think that today, if anyone takes anything away from that, from what I've said today, don't think it's about creating the best go-to-market strategy or the best marketing campaign or any of those things. It's about empowering people to be successful. And that's what I was trying to do with that. I wanted to show them myself that we could be successful with this program. And then we did, right? So I think that's really what propelled the company. So, I mean, take that shot in the arm uh, coupled with a great plan. And, and that was our formula for success, man. I love that. I feel like we do a whole second episode here, <laughs> but, um, you know, I want to wrap it up. Do you have a piece of advice or some words of wisdom that you could give to someone who was in a spot that you were in earlier? Maybe someone who's restarting things, or maybe someone who's just experienced that defeat that you felt early on in your career. Is there anything you'd like to say to that person? Yeah. You know what? Here, be honest with you. I do this all the time. Like I'm on LinkedIn. I'm everywhere feel free to reach out. Like if you got questions and you're trying to figure out a hard spot and you just need somebody to like bounce something off of, hit me up. Like people often do that and they'll, they'll, they'll ask me questions. Like I'm here to help. Like I got a lot of friends in the industry that have come to me for help and we create like a little ecosystem of people that jump over to one of my master classes. If you guys are struggling in sales and like it's still not clicking, I have a master class, a cyber security sales master class that you guys can come. It's vendor agnostic. I'm not teaching you how to sell a product. I'm teaching you how to have a conversation with the customer and teaching the actual core components of, of those aspects. You know, Empath Cyber, our boys over there, they're doing great stuff too. For those of you guys who are looking to learn how to get into cybersecurity, Jimmy, you guys are doing an amazing job too. I'm sorry, not Matt West, Spencer, excuse me. You know, and then you got all these great people that are willing to help. Like, just ask us. You'd be surprised. We actually will answer. You know, if you're looking and you got questions, the best thing you could do is ask questions. I started off talking to you about that 
about talking to your customer, asking questions about the products and services. We don't know all know how to run businesses, right? I didn't. That's the whole point of creating the MSB owner's handbook. Like I, I don't know officially, like I'm not a, some sort of business guru to tell you like, oh my God, like you can un, you know, untap this amazing potential. I can just tell you what I did to be successful and that's what I'm willing to share. So if you want to know, ask. And I'm happy to help. I'll make some time just like I do for everyone else to, to share my experiences. Just be careful what you ask for. I may run long. <laughs> and one last thing is, it's the end of the year. And if you guys, I'm serious, build for profit in 2023. That's the one thing that I can say that we did well and we never changed our price. Like, you know your value, stick to your value, stick to your guns. If that customer doesn't like your price, then move on. We talk about knowing the no all the time. And sometimes the no is, I don't want this customer because they're not willing to pay me what I'm worth. Recognize your value, not just the value you deliver. And that's probably my biggest piece of advice because it took me a long time to figure that out. And now I know my value and I'm willing to clearly articulate it and illustrate it in a number of different ways. And I don't settle on price. And it's not ever gonna be about price, it's gonna be about what we can do together. So those are my couple pieces of advice. Great. Well, it's been awesome having you on. I do encourage people to reach out to Juan. If you're listening, you got questions for him, you will need some advice, you you know, want to hear that story again, shoot him a message on LinkedIn, reach out. I know he'll, he'll connect with you. Jimmy, it's been a pleasure, brother. And I look forward to hearing all your guys' success as well, man. So I can't wait to do another one. Sounds like it's in the books. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you. 